you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth, if you had faith the size as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Well, guys, glad to have you guys with us today. So excited to be here at New Life. Is anybody excited to be at church today? All right, very good. The majority of you, at least uh, here at the Carnegie campus. Uh, And then uh, we also want to welcome all of those worshiping with us right now live at our North Platte campus. And those that might be on vacation or, you know, unfortunately sick today and you're watching online. So we want to welcome everybody with us. We are in our current teaching series called Unstoppable. If you weren't here last week, we kicked it off. Unstoppable um, is a teaching series focused completely on these amazing stories in God's word that just expose the true unstoppable power and authority that God truly has. We believe at New Life Church that God has nothing, no one that is equal to him. We believe that God always was, he's the alpha and he always will be, he's the omega, and that everything is created by God, it's created for him, and nothing created by God is equal to God. And so that's something you've got to get inside of your heart if you're going to live out a Christian faith that is going to win in the end. God has no equal. And so we're talking about the unstoppable power of God. If you weren't here last week, then please go to mynewlifechurch.com. And you can actually click on our on-demand. You can watch last week's message. And that way you can be up to speed with us. Um, So getting started today, I just kind of want to kick it off with kind of a thought. Have you ever had these moments in life where you've been dreaming for something, hoping for something for a long, long period of time? Like so long that eventually you start thinking like it's never going to happen. You guys ever had those kind of things at all? No one? You're going to have no dreams, right? No one has any dreams? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, we've all had these moments. If you live on this planet long enough, there's things that you just want to do. There's things you want to accomplish. And then you wonder to yourself, why is it not happening? And then will it ever happen? Let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Like Kim and I, we've raised four children. They're all adults. Many of you are raising kids as well. And you've got a dream someday of, of, uh, of this happening, right? Of being maybe empty nesters. Some of you, you have adult children still living in your house and you're going, will the dream ever happen, right? Will these kids ever move on? We love them, but please move on, right? So that's a dream, you know, that we have. And, you know, some people are kind of living that one out. Or others of them, and moms, I got your back on this one, right? Others of you, you've got adult children. They've been married. They've been married for, you know, a few years. And you're wondering to yourself, when are you going to give me the grandchild I've been dreaming for, right? And I've heard people talk to me about that. Like, when will you give me that? Yeah, and like, wow, man, alive. Like, back down, mom, right? Um, I got it. We're grand, we're grandparents. We have five grandchildren. They're all amazing. And yes, it is true. When you are a grandparent, you just sugar dose them and then you give them back. It is true. That is what you do. It's a blast. You spoil them and then you send them back. 
Um, it's a good time. Some of you, though, you might be young adults. You could be adults, right? And you've been dreaming this for this day to happen where you could own your own home. But it seems like house prices just keep getting more and more expensive and it keeps getting harder and harder to save the money for it. And like, you're chasing this thing that's never going to happen. And so you've got a dream, but you're wondering, will it take place? Others of you are still working on a degree and uh, you're going, will we ever get this degree done? It seems like it's moving along at turtle speed, right? And so those are some examples of having a dream, wondering to yourself if it's ever going to happen. And you got your own stories. I have my own personal story. When I was a kid, um, from being a kid, actually, I've always dreamed of having my private pilot's license. Okay. That's just been a dream of mine. I was able a, a number of years ago to start working on it. And I thought for sure, I'm going to finish this thing for sure. This is the moment, right? Where it's going to get done. And I got 20 hours under my belt and I'm moving along and I'm soloing and I'm flying cross country flights and I'm loving it. And then it comes to a screeching halt for a number of reasons. And, but that dream is still there inside of me, right? And I'm wondering to myself, will that dream like ever be fulfilled? So if you're that way and I can live that way, there's got to be people in God's word that have had that same kind of experience, very practical experience. And lo and behold, there are. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at a woman in the Bible who is very much like us, right? She had dreams and desires, but they just weren't happening. They weren't coming to fruition until one day when she came face to face with the unstoppable power of God. Now, this woman is a very special woman. However, Her name's never mentioned in the Bible. All we're given is the name of her husband, and she's always referred to as Manoah's wife. You can find this story in Judges chapter 13. It's verses 1 through 24 where I'm going to be speaking. And so today, instead of just reading that entire passage, I'm going to give it to you in a story format. We're going to dive into this passage for sure. We're going to use God's word, but I'll just give you the story of the scripture as it goes. So Manoah's wife. That's what we're looking at. In Judges chapter 13, we find that the Israelites, God's people, have been doing what God's people have always done. There's been times when they've been rock solid worshiping God, and there's been times when they've been down in the dumps and they have not been. There's been times when they've been faithful to God, and there's been times when they have not been faithful to God. We find them in this story at a season of time where they have not been faithful to God. They've been sinning before God. And so God does what God did in the Old Testament, and he sends an enemy to bring oppression to them. He sends an enemy called the Philistines to oppress them, and he oppresses them for 40 years. And it's during this 40 years of oppression of this enemy on them that we find Manoah and Manoah's wife come into the scene. As soon as they come into the biblical scene and the timeline of the, of the Bible, it says this about them, that they are without children. She is barren. They've been trying to have children, but they can't have children. And I just wondered to myself, if you could imagine what that feels like for some of you that are hearing my voice right now, that's been your life. You know that pain. Kim and I, um, we've got some family members that are dealing with that right now, not knowing what the future holds and trying to have children but can't have children. And, you know, we're wrestling with that as well. So we very much have compassion for you if you're in that area of life right now. But that's kind of where they were at. They were at a place where they had hoped and they had dreamed for children. But you can only do that so long until you get to a point where you're just kind of like, I can't do it anymore. And you start to kind of give up. But one day, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord showed up and met Manoah's wife. 
This is what the angel of the Lord told her. Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. And then he went on. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Four big promises there. That's the way God works. See, an unstoppable God has the ability to speak life and then follow it up with action that actually produces that life. And God speaks four powerful, unstoppable promises to Manoah's wife that day. You will have a child. Secondly, you're going to have a son. That's a good start, right? Because children in that day were the ones that took care of you when you got older. There was no retirement village in Florida to move to. Okay, And there was no nursing home to move into. You had children, those children took care of you. They had children, their children took care of them. So you're going to have a child, that's good news, right? You're going to have a son, that's a great start. Your son is going to be set apart for the purpose of God. He's going to be living out what's called the Nazarite vow. I'll tell you what that means in a minute, but it's awesome. right? Your son, fourthly, he's going to begin. That's a critical word. He's going to begin to rescue your nation from the enemy who is oppressing you. Four big promises that are being made. The Nazarite vow. What does it simply mean? So that you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the sermon. Nazarite vow simply means this, to be set apart for God's holy purpose. But in doing so, there's some strict guidelines. Three of them to to be in fact. All right, to be factual. First, you can't drink any alcohol during the Nazarite vow. Secondly, you can't cut your hair during the vow. And third, you can't touch a dead body. That was the rules. You lived by that. You remained pure for God's holy purpose. Now, many people would be on a Nazarite vow for a period of time. You don't have a lot of examples of people being born saying to their parents, raise the kid with a Nazarite vow, and for the rest of his life, he's going to live this out. Now, That was a very unique calling, but it also said that this kid is going to be really special. So let's just put ourselves into the shoes of Manoah's wife. She's meeting with the angel of the Lord, right? She knows this is no regular human being. She gets this message that she's never heard before. What a promise. Her heart is filled with hope. What does she do? She runs to her husband and tells him the entire story. Now, what do you think Manoah did when he heard about this story of his wife meeting with an angel and the angel telling her, we're going to start having children? What do you think he did? Do you think maybe he said, wow, you've been drinking way too much wine, woman? Or are you seriously, did you seriously see this or this is just in your head? Did you really hear these voices or, you know, this voice or are these just voices in your head? Were you looking out into the desert and just saw a mirage? That's not what Manoah does at all, though. In fact, Manoah embraces what his wife said, doesn't argue with her, doesn't reject it, doesn't tear her down for it. In fact, he does something that builds her up. He goes to the Lord in prayer. This is what he says. Lord, please let the man of God, the man of God who just came to my wife, let him come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. And then what does the Bible say? God answered Manoah's, what? Prayer. A few days later, while Manoah's wife was out in the field and she was just sitting there, the angel of the Lord showed up again. 
This time, she wasted no time. She ran right to her husband, got her husband, brought him back to the angel of the Lord, and Manoah immediately asked the angel of the Lord, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? And the angel of the Lord went again to repeat what he had already told her. He goes, follow the examples that I gave her already, right? Don't drink any alcohol, don't eat any forbidden food. And by the way, raise this son of yours to be, uh, to live underneath this Nazarite vow from the very beginning. Well, Manoah and his wife, they were just overjoyed. I mean, they were so filled with joy that they were like, we want to feed you. We want to throw a big feast. We want to like take a a goat and we want to feed you. And the angel of the Lord said, look, I'm not going to eat with you. But what I would suggest is, why don't you make a burnt offering and let's worship the Lord with that. And so Manoah's like, wow, man, profound. Great idea, angel of the Lord. Uh, That's way better than just feeding you. Let's thank God for this miracle. But before he does it, Manoah asks a great question. He goes, hey, by the way, you know, we've interacted a little bit of time here. Um, You know us, but we don't know you. What is your name? Very practical question, right? What is your name? The angel of the Lord said this. It's too wonderful for you to understand. Now hang on to that, because we're going to talk about that. It's too wonderful for you to understand. So Manoah, he lit the fire, he put the goat on it, and the flames start, you know, just jettisoning in up and up into the sky and the smokes up into the sky and the smell of the burnt offerings there and all of a sudden out of the blue the angel of the lord jumps into the flames and ascends into heaven through the flames and through the smoke now now look i mean that's amazing right that's incredible to see that i don't know how you would you would be but manoah he completely freaked out right he was like, oh no, man, all of a sudden I thought we were just meeting with an angel. He goes, we've been meeting with God. We've seen God face to face. Now we're going to die. And his wife, who was the calm, cool, and collected one, like many of you ladies are in those freak out moments, she said these words, if the Lord was going to kill us, Manoah, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and he wouldn't have done all of these miracles. What a great woman, right? What a great wife to have. And they went on to have a son, and they named him Samson. Now, For some of you, that just all of a sudden came together. It made sense. Like, you know who Samson is. Samson's the man who's known as the strongest man in the world, right? Strongest man ever. And he was blessed and anointed by God with this strength because of his long hair. And then... Then he got caught sleeping with this woman who, you know, cuts his hair, takes away all of his strength, and he ends up in a very destructive place. So although Samson was given this Nazarite vow that he was supposed to be living by, when he lived by it, great things happened. When he didn't live by it, destructive things happened. But Samson ends his life honoring God with his life, right? His hair is grown back out. He asks for one more moment of strength and he pushes on the pillars and it comes crushing down. It kills a lot of the enemy, but it also takes his life. Samson really was a man who began the rescue of the Israelites out of the hands of the Philistines. Manoah though. Manoah and his wife were barren. They were barren and they were without they were without children. And today, some of you, you have carried, you've carried the weight of barrenness for a long, long time. Like spiritually is what I mean by. 
by this. I'm not talking to so much the physical, I'm talking the spiritual. You've been walking through a season that's been dry and it's been wearisome and, you know, it, it's just been like this barren season of your life where you're going, God, where are you? Is this dream ever going to happen? My hope is fading. My faith is fading. God, where are you at? And you're walking through a barren spiritual season of life. And what I want you to know today is that God wants to bring life He wants to bring life back again to the areas that have grown dry and weary and barrensome. That's what God wants to do. That's the kind of God we serve today. He has the unstoppable power to do that today, to begin that work. But Manoah and his wife, they were also living under the oppression of an enemy because of their sin. And today I know some of you, you wrestled with getting here. You wrestled with getting here because you feel the oppression of your own sin on your life. Some of you, 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 you tried to get here to the first service, maybe. You couldn't make it happen. You tried to get here to the second service, and you had to fight your way through your own guilt and your own shame and your own condemnation. Even while you're getting ready to go to church, you're looking in the mirror, and the words going through your head are these words, what a hypocrite. Look who you are, and now you're going to go to church. But yet you pressed past all of that, and you're here today. I want you to know something. God has the complete, unstoppable power to begin the process of breaking the chains of the oppression that's come from your sin. If you're willing to run to him and to put your hope in him. Just like God promised, I'm going to send Samson to begin that process. I'm telling you, God's here today, and he's going, I've already sent my son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. I've given you the power of my Holy Spirit. I have the ability to provide for you, and I have the the ability to rescue you in your greatest time of need. So if you're here today, and that's where you're at, I got good news for you. The unstoppable power of God is going to work miracles in this place today. But to see the unstoppable power of God accomplished in your life, i got a few things for you. A few observations from this passage. If you want to see the unstoppable power of God accomplished in your life, then you must have tender faith. A tender faith. I want to talk to you about that for a minute. The opposite of a tender faith would be a phrase that, that I use, which I would just refer to it as a hyper faith. It's a faith that's very much driven by emotion, It's a faith that is not a biblical faith. It's a faith that tends to believe that somehow if you just believe enough that you will manipulate the very hand of God to accomplish what your will and what your desires are. It's a kind of a faith that it tends to trump every single spiritual conversation that you ever have. Like you're talking with somebody and they're going through hell on earth right? They're going through divorce or whatever, the loss of a, of a child. And your words to them are just this. You just need to have more faith. You're going, you're talking with people and they're dealing with, you know, financial destruction in their life. And your words to them, you just need to have more faith. You're, you yourself, you know, you, you see life through the lens of if a person could just have enough faith, then anything can happen. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that, yes, with faith, it's possible to move mountains. However, it has to be according to God's will, not your will. So critical with faith. So critical with faith. And we often get a hyper faith that lets our will get engaged instead of God's will getting engaged. Sometimes it's not that you need more faith. But don't get me wrong. Faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what God's word says. Period. But there's times when you just need to activate and walk in God-given wisdom. There's times when you just need to seek the advice of other spiritual leaders that are around you and then start applying that wisdom to your own life. I truly believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength because I've lived it. 
that it's possible to have a radical faith and still be practical. It's possible to see the mountains move and still walk in God's timing and God's will. It's it's a practical faith that can become radical. You never want your faith to be ahead of God and you never want your faith to, to somehow give you a license that you somehow control God by having enough faith. No, faith is a gift from God to join what he's doing. It's not a license from God to manipulate his hand. You never want to get in that situation because if you do, it's a recipe for a spiritual crash. I've seen too many of my friends do it. I don't want to see you in our church do that. Manoah, though, on the other hand, he modeled for us what I'm just using as a phrase as tender faith. He modeled it for us in his prayer. I want to take you back to that scripture we read just a minute ago. It says that Manoah prayed to the Lord saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more. What's this word? Give us more instructions. Like, we don't know how to do all of this that you've, you've asked us to do. We're, we're not the ones in charge. We recognize that. There's it, nothing that we've done that deserves this unstoppable power of God at work in our lives. We need you if we're going to keep moving forward and accomplish this. So give us more instructions about, and this is the key phrase, about this son who is to be born. Meaning, I'm all in. There is no doubt in my mind. I have a 100% belief that, God, what you said can happen. However, it's not going to happen unless you keep giving me instructions and you keep leading me. And this brings us to a very critical example that Manoah gives us. I tend to use this phrase. Manoah was practicing this open-door principle. Open door principle of faith that when God speaks to our lives, how do you act it out? How do you live it out? This open door principle. Like God says, there's a door, it's open. You're going to have a son. Now what do you do? You walk gently, number one. Number two, not only do you walk gently, but you push lightly on those doors and you proceed when the door opens. Many times in our life, Kim and I, where we've had to practice this, where we had to walk gently. We know God spoke. We had to push lightly on doors. And there's been moments when the door didn't open. It wasn't the right time for it to open. So you get up to the door and you kind of push on it, meaning you have a conversation. You, you search out to see if the right resource is there to accomplish the next step for this dream that God's put in your heart, but it's not there. So what do you do? Do you go manufacture it? Do you go make it happen? My tendency is just to say, okay, I'm going to back away. I'm not going to give up on that. I believe God said, you walk through that door, Jeff Baker. But I'm going to wait, and God's going to open it. And so I'll come back to it later, and we'll push on it. And then all of a sudden, the door starts to creep open. Okay, it's time to walk through it. The right resource is there. The right relationship is there. Whatever it is, it's God's timing. It's not my timing. You see the difference between that? That's more of a tender kind of a faith. Kim and I, we had to live this in Alaska. When we got out of the Air Force and we went to our very first full-time ministry location in Valdez, Alaska. I talked a little bit about it last week. When we did that, um, you know, we were all on board. We believed, God, you spoke to us. Even though we're going to a place where they're going to pay us nothing, right? Big goose eggs. We're going to have to go make this happen. And we have four kids. And, you know, how are we going to do it? And God ended up providing. It was a miracle. But we said this, God, we believe you called us to do this. But we need, God, we need you to provide housing. You provide housing, we can go. So we went to Valdez and we looked for houses. But guess what? It's really hard, even if you talk to a Christian banker, to get a loan for a house 
or uh, even to like apply for an apartment when you say, when they ask you, well, how much do you make? And you go, I'm not going to make anything. Most landlords are kind of like, well, well, go talk to another guy, right? All bankers are going to be like, come back and talk to us when you got a W-2. But I didn't have a job. So what do I do? I go to the Alaska Housing Authority and I speak to them and I said, do you have any homes here in Valdez that would fit a, a family of six? We sure do. We sure do. Let's go drive by. I'll show it to you. So we drove by. We can only look at the outside because someone's living on the inside of it. But here's a, here's a four-bedroom house, big enough for uh, Kim and I and our four kids. And then she says to us, but I hate to tell you this, this family's been here for a couple of years. Most people live in it for a long period of time. Oh, and there's eight other families on the waiting list. Would, would you like to put your name on the waiting list? At this time, we'd already started the processing out of the Air Force. But there was a date that was coming soon where if I crossed that date, there was no turning back, right? So we started the process, but I could, I could change it. And that date was coming. As the date kept coming, I'm going, okay, God, man, I believe you. I believe you're, you told us to do this. So I'm still processing out of the Air Force, which is a long process, like checklist after checklist. And then when you're done with those, there's another pile of checklists. You know, it's the government. You know how it works. So Getting up to that date, we are like within seven days now of this date, and all of a sudden my, my, my phone rings. Hey, is this Jeff? Yes, this it is. Hey, this is so-and-so from uh, Valdez. Yeah, yeah, good to talk to you. I'm thinking she's getting ready to tell me, oh, by the way, you know, it, it don't, don't have any hope. And she goes, you know, the craziest thing happened. The family that's been living in this house, they just gave me their 30-day 30, their 30 notice. And I've been trying to get a hold of the other eight families. And they're either already in a place or I can't get a hold of them anymore. And guess what? You're the next person I can offer the house to. Do you want it? And I'm like, well, let me think about it. <clears throat> no, you don't. You don't. You don't at a moment like that go, well, let me think about it. No, you just go, absolutely, we'll take the house. Hang it up and go, I just met with the angel of the Lord, basically. Right? Like God moved in a miraculous way. So we understand what it means to have that tender faith. I believe you spoke it, God, but there's doors that have to open. And when they open, we walk through them. We walk through them with great faith. Today, you may need to be walking out some tender faith in your own life. You might be facing something where you need doors to open. You need resources to open. You need your faith to stay in line with God. And if that's you, I have a prayer, a prayer that I'd like to pray, a prayer that can really just come from your mouth. It's really a prayer from you to God. But if that's where you're at today, let me just maybe join with you in speaking this prayer um, to God. God, I know that you're calling me to take this step of faith, but I need you to go before me and to prepare my way. I will walk tenderly through every doorway with the desire to be in perfect step with you, not lagging behind in a lack of faith or running ahead with a hyper faith. God, protect me from myself as I walk by faith. Amen. That is the type of heart of a person that wants to live before God with a, with a tender faith. And that's what we see Manoah doing. But there's some other things. If you want to see the unstoppable power of God accomplished in your life, then you must also trust the motives of God. The motives of God. We, we since we were three years old, what's the number one question that we've been asking since we were three? Why? That's right. Why? 
Like, we love to ask why. When we're three, we do it. But when we're 47, we still ask why. Like, why, God, do I have to go through this difficult time? Why, God, is it, does it have to happen this way? Because I think I got a better way, right? Like, why, why, why? Faith. Faith should cause you to embrace God as a good and a perfect God with a heart that has your best interest in mind. I would even go as far as to say this, that faith, faith should start to squelch the question of why over time. I use that word strategically, squelch, not stop, but squelch. I know what it's like to have God ask you to do something that seems somewhat radical. And at beginning, the beginning of those experiences, you're going to ask the question why a lot. I believe over time, as you start to discover the unstoppable power of God, it should start to squelch the question of why as you come back again over and over again to say, God, you're good. God, you are perfect. God, you're not there to harm me, but God, you're there for my best interest. If you're saying to do this, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to step out and I'm going to do it. But Manoah, he started to question the very motive of God. He questioned the motive of God when he, when he said it, when he said this really to his wife, like, why would God show himself to us? Now we're going to die. After all that he's heard, right? I'm going to have a son and I watched the angel of the Lord ascend into heaven through the, through the smoke and through the fire. All of a sudden, now after that, he's going to say, the motive of God was to kill me? Right? Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He just had seen, he just had seen the angel of the Lord. Let me pause for a minute on the angel of the Lord. Many theologians believe, and it's my personal belief, that when you find in the Old Testament the statement, the angel of the Lord, that what you're, what you're hearing and what's being described for you is the very manifest presence of Jesus himself in the Old Testament in a pre-incarnation form, meaning in a spirit form, not in a bodily form. Jesus is born right? That's the way we get the New Testament kicked off in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus is born and then, you know, he comes in the form of man and he grows and he lives his life and he dies a sinless life on the cross. Jesus, both man and God. But in the Old Testament, you see Jesus showing up when the Bible says the angel of the Lord. Very different than an angel of the Lord or just angel of the Lord. How do we know this? Because Jesus is God. He's always been. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and he always will be. We know that Jesus is part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. God has always been. Jesus created the earth. Jesus created mankind, and Jesus holds it all together. That's what it says even in the New Testament. Jesus is God. And in this passage, the angel of the Lord says these critical words. Let's go back to them. Why do you ask, Manoah? Why do you ask my name? It is too wonderful for you to understand. There's only one name that I know of that's too wonderful for us to understand, and it's not some angel's name. It's the name of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It's the name of the Alpha and the Omega. It is the name of Jesus. His name is the only name that I know for certain is too wonderful for me to ever wrap my head around and to completely understand. And here he is, standing there, meeting with them. So hang on to that for a moment. Let's go back to Manoah, questioning why God showed himself to them and that now why is God going to kill us? Manoah's wife is awesome. She had the right attitude. 
right? She had the right understanding, and she brought incredible godly counsel. Like, men, listen, when you need to make critical decisions and you need to know what God's heart is, if you, got a, you have a wife that's godly, you need to ask her. It's amazing how many times God spoke through my wife, Kim, to help me understand God's perfect will and his perfect timing for our family. So I want you to know, trust, trust the voice of a godly, of a godly wife, and it can bring confirmation to you. That's what Manoah's wife does for him right here when she says these words. You know, but his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, Right, I said him earlier. He wouldn't have accepted our burnt offerings and grain offerings. He wouldn't have he wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these incredible miracles. What she's got the right heart. She trusts the very motive of God. She trusts that God has a heart for her, not against her. She trusts that God's not setting her up to slam her back down to the ground. She trusts God so much that she could walk into the village and say, "Guess what." We just met with the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord said, we're going to have a baby. Where so many people would have maybe had this moment and kept it secret just to make sure, is it going to happen? Like she had the right motive. She knew God doesn't speak words like that to hurt us. He speaks words like that to build us up. Which brings me really to the final uh, observation in this passage. Going back to the angel of the Lord being Jesus, you experience the unstoppable power of Jesus by exercising extreme faith. Their faith gave them a life-changing, life-transforming moment with Jesus, the angel of the Lord. Their lives were changed forever, just like your life can be changed forever when you exercise faith and you come into the presence of God and the Spirit of Christ meets with you and he speaks life into you and he meets with you and he stirs up hope in you. And he meets with you and he stirs great faith inside of you. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you today, but he's asking all of us to do something radical. Take a massive step of faith and to believe in the, uh, in the uh, unstoppable power of God that what seems impossible is possible with God. That that mountain in your life that just doesn't seem like it can move, that with God's power and authority, if it's God's will, that mountain's gonna move. There are mountains that will never move. You'll pray for them forever. God's going, no, you're walking around that one. Or you're going to walk right through that one. And there are other mountains that God's going to move. But it doesn't matter whether he moves it, he walks you through it, or he walks you around it. The power of an unstoppable God will be with you to accomplish that journey that's before you. And today, I'm calling all of us to a point of action, a point of worship. Our worship teams and all of our venues are going to sing one song. That one song is a time for you just to dial your heart in and connect with God and say, God, is there a barrenness in my life that I need to trust you for? Is there an oppression in my life because of my own sin that I need to trust you for? God, is there something in my life I need to take a giant step of faith and just go, you know what? You're in complete control. I'm going to trust you for it. With that attitude, let's stand and let's prepare our hearts for this one song of worship before God. Let me pray. Lord, I pray over this congregation that we all have barren aspects of our life and we need you to move in these valley moments. We need you to move in these desert moments. Lord, we need to sense that there's hope, that there's an oasis coming, that there's rain that's getting ready to fall upon us, that there's fresh life that's getting ready to come. We've got dreams and desires and we've been hanging on to them for long periods of time, all the way to the point where we're thinking, you know what? It was foolish to ever dream that way. 
But God, you're the one that put it in our heart in the first place, and we're not supposed to let go of it. So Lord, give us faith to trust what you say. Give us faith to know that you're always fighting for us, that you're always there, God, doing battle for us. You're, you're wanting to inspire faith inside of us. You're wanting to inspire hope inside of us. You're wanting to inspire joy where there seems like all there is right now is sorrow. Lord, I also pray for those that right now are just being oppressed because of the very sin of our lives and what it's brought upon us. And I pray today that, Lord, you would break the chains of guilt and shame and condemnation. Hypocrisy would be broken. And, Lord, that you would, you would woo us to yourself. You're not here to judge. You're here to love. You're here to embrace. You're here to forgive. And today may we experience the awe-inspiring, unstoppable power of God to look beyond our sin and to love us right where we're at. So today, would you work miracles in this place as we exercise our faith in an unstoppable God? Amen.